I'm so excited to see what I end up discovering is happening around the world because as many people as I know, as many cool things as I've seen, I just have a feeling there is so, so much more not only going on right now, but that is yet to come. Hi, this is Alexandria from Sacramento, California. You're listening to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast that helps you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Today's guest is Kate Holmes, CFP. She's an international speaker, podcast host, and global advocate for financial planning. She joins Hannah to share how she worked to build up financial planning around the world and how the profession looks outside the United States. Straight ahead, we'll explore how culture and regulation impact the financial planning profession around the globe and what you might need to understand if outside regulatory changes came to the United States. Today's episode is brought to you by Markel Insurance. As an investment advisor, you know even the littlest details can make a huge impact, such as those tiny footnotes in the back of a prospectus or annual report. For your firm's professional insurance coverage, the details are also important. That's why your firm needs insurance coverage developed for financial service professionals to protect you, your firm, and your assets. Markel's investment advisors program offers heirs and omissions and directors and officers insurance. They've insured our industry and profession for three decades and have a strong reputation within our community community as a result of its industry experience, stable premiums, and excellent claims management services. Markel is proud to be the choice of thousands of financial service professionals. Contact your insurance broker or agent today to get a quote from Markel. Well, thanks for joining us today, Kate. Hannah, it's awesome to be here. Yes. Well, I think I met you first at a Next Gen Gathering... Oh my gosh, six, seven, eight years ago. I know. I, I can't even remember. I was trying to think about it. Was it the one in Dallas or we were in Moline? Yeah. Is that a place? <laughs> yeah, we were both of them. Yep. Yeah. At that time, you were looking to or had just recently started your own firm. What was the name of it again? It was Belmore Financial. How long did you run Belmore Financial for? So I feel like time kind of all flows together. I'm going to say four years. To give our listeners a little spoiler for what's coming up. You ended up shutting that down and going to work for the FPSB, the Financial Planning Standards Board. Yeah. So they, FPSB, Financial Planning Standards Board, actually spun out of CFP Board back in 2004. And so CFP Board owns and operates the CFP certification we're all familiar with in the U.S. And FPSB um, owns and oversees the CFP marks everywhere outside the U.S., So I got to work in like 30 countries. I traveled all over and learned so much. So you shut down your practice to go work for FPSB, right? In a way. So when I started, I started Belmore Financial in early 2013. And I'm so glad. So that that would have been the year I went to NextGen because when I started, I couldn't find anyone in the country doing what I was doing. So I started one of the very first completely virtual, fee-only retainer model practices. And it was awesome that shortly thereafter, that's when I met uh, Mary Beth Storjahan, Eric Roberge, Sophia Berra. And, you know, a year later, XYPN came about. So I started and I was like, I'm just kind of this lone wolf out there. And I finally got to find my people. And I did that for a while, but because I was one of the first in that in that small group of great planners, I became kind of outspoken about what I saw as the future of financial planning. And thankfully, that got me mentioned in the media quite a bit. I love public speaking. So I was speaking domestically and internationally. And I started consulting for multinational firms, 
working directly with other advisors around the world. And I ended up meeting the CEO of FPSB when I was actually giving a keynote presentation in South Africa. So I started consulting with them and I kind of just had my hands in a few too many buckets. But because my passion was really helping to propel this profession forward and grow the profession in a way that's really doing the absolute best thing for clients around the world, I sort of got an offer I couldn't refuse to work at FPSB. Traveling has always been my thing. I had already been to 30, 35 countries before I took the job. So um, they said I could keep my practice, but it turns out trying to build the global profession of financial planning uh, took up plenty enough time. So that's why I ultimately wound down Belmore. So let's talk a little bit about FPSB. So you said it's, so it was a spinoff of the CFP board. What is their vision statement or mission statement for, for their association? So I left and took a few months off. So I feel like my brain is not, even though I've said that mission statement a thousand times. Um, but it's, it's really about building the global profession of financial planning. So currently, and, and one thing that most CFP professionals in the U.S. don't realize is there are actually more CFP professionals outside the U.S., than there is in the U.S., even though the U.S. is growing in amazing ways and having over 85,000 CFP professionals now, there are also CFP professionals in 26 other countries around the world. So there are about 185,000 CFP professionals worldwide now. That's including places like Brazil, uh, Colombia, South Africa, all throughout Europe, all throughout um, Australasia. So it's it's currently, like I said, at, at 26 countries worldwide with a goal of growing globally to 250,000 CFP professionals in 40 countries worldwide. Um, and with that number, that includes the U.S. And CFP Board has always been a great contributor to the global profession. The fact that CFP certification started in the U.S., financial planning is definitely the most mature in the U.S., um, a lot of people look to the U.S. to see, you know, what's going on, what's happening, how are they doing it. So we start the CFP board in the U.S. Were they immediately working on international, like, standards? No, not internationally. So it ended up being um, Australia was the second country that sort of started doing very similar to the U.S., looking around and kind of realizing there's got to be a better way to work with clients in a more holistic way. And when they learned about CFP certification in the U.S., rather than trying to recreate the wheel, they looked to the U.S. and they contacted them and they said, hey, you know, can we license this certification program? And so that was in the early 1990s. And then shortly thereafter, Japan came along and, you know, so the story goes. So when FPSB spun out in 2004, there were actually CFP certification programs already in existence in 16 different countries, but there wasn't really that sort of consistency in standards and process across the board. So the first number of years of FPSB's existence was really trying to bring it all together and create that consistency. So we're all familiar with the four E's. So education, experience, exam, and ethics. And so that's generally been consistent around the world. But if you just think about how any business practices across 16 countries with 16 different cultures, languages, regulatory schemes, taxes, investments, you know, insurance, you name it, 
it's definitely a challenge really getting that global consistency now across 26 or 27 countries and growing. The CFP board in the U.S. is very much, I mean, they, they brand themselves as being the gold standard. Is that the same in all these other countries? Like, is it viewed as that, like the high standard for financial planning? It is. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, I think what CFP board has gone through um, with the consumer awareness campaign that has been so successful over the last, what are we on a decade now? um, That's something that other countries are looking to emulate as well, because, you know, while consumer awareness has increased in the U.S., I think a lot of us would agree there's still quite a ways to go. So one of the interesting things is because there's been such a long history in the U.S. and people have been so used to, you know, working with brokers and those that only do uh, AUM or maybe sell insurance, when you look at more of the developing countries and especially those just developing and just introducing financial advice and financial planning, I think they have an opportunity and some of them already are to kind of leapfrog over what has happened in the U.S. in the last 50 years. You know, like any good business owner, you'd kind of look around and go, okay, what can I learn from what other people have done? And how can we kind of, you know, jump forward? And rather than learning those same lessons ourselves, how can we sort of get to the end and be doing something similar? So that's happening a bit, but, you know, financial planning is still everywhere in the world, an incredibly young profession, uh, but I think it's evolving a lot. And a lot of the themes that we're seeing happening in the U.S., you know, especially around retainer models and moving away from product and really towards advice, um, those are happening a lot more rapidly in other countries. And sometimes it's really done from a regulatory perspective. I would say the U.S. from, I mean, I don't think any of us enjoy the regulation or compliance we have to go through, but in a lot of ways, it's actually pretty far behind a number of other countries. Well, that's always such an interesting angle is this regulatory. We just had an episode, um, it was actually the last one of last year, where we talked to a gentleman about the regulatory changes that are happening in Australia and how dramatically that's impacting financial planning and, and what that looks like. I mean, regulation seems like one of the biggest differences between the countries. It is. Yeah. And and so I'd encourage people to go back and listen to that episode because just hearing what they went through with the Royal Commission in Australia is, it's intense. And on the first episode of, of my new podcast, The Innovating Advice Show, I actually had on um, the head of XY Advisor. So it's a little bit like an XYPN in Australia. And we talked a lot about sort of the outcomes of what's called the Royal Commission. And one of the things he said is it actually costs like thirty to fifty thousand dollars to start a practice in Australia, and so much of that is due to regulation. But you know, on the flip side, the community down there is so resilient, and especially the younger advisors, that XY generation, are so passionate about the future of the profession, and they understand that while there are more hoops to jump through. A lot of them have to do additional education, take additional exams now. They're really looking with a long view towards what this profession can be and already is. And, and so they're, they're resilient. They're excited about it. I, I almost fell out of my chair when he said how much it costs, but um, good for them. 
Yeah, well, it was interesting. I mean, they expect a third of their financial advisors to leave in the next five years because of the regulation. Like, it was shocking how, how much of an impact that that had. It is. Yeah, they've already gone from about 25,000 down to 20,000 advisors, and there probably will be more. And and look, my heart is completely with you know those people that have been in the profession for a couple of decades. I mean, they had commissions just completely wiped out from under them. And even though I've never worked on a commission basis, you know, you feel for them. That's the practice that they always had. And to think, hey, I've done this for 20, 30 years. Now I have to go back to school. Now I have to do additional things. And my main source of revenue, you know, was taken away from me. I I got to admit, I would probably leave the profession as well. And so that's why it's so important. And I, you know, I love the work that XY Advisor is doing in building that community in Australia because then that just sort of creates a bigger emphasis on attracting and retaining the next generation of planners. So regulation is a big impact. How does culture impact financial planning? I I think culture is one of the more interesting aspects of it. Um, you know, it can be from who sort of clients and consumers in a country will take advice from, you know, what whether it's a male or a female or older or younger, that can vary around the world. And sometimes it's around, you know, a culture of, hey, we just, we don't need our money managed. Or if you get into a socialist country, you know, they've got enough social nets that they don't really yet have a need for true financial planning. But I think that's where the conversations over the next couple of years are going to get even more interesting is the continual bridge between, you know, traditional financial planning and life planning. And the fact that we still talk about those two as two separate things, I think they're merging together pretty quickly. And when you dive into the life planning side, you know, and really focus on just using your money as a tool to create the life you want. That's something that impacts every person on this planet, regardless of, you know, their culture or, um, you know, socioeconomic status or what social safety nets they may have in their country. Yeah. We talk about that a lot here on this podcast is, you know, to be a profession, one of the, the hallmarks of a profession is that it impacts every single person in their life, which is what money does. So it's, it's really interesting, especially, I mean, you talked about, you know, more socialistic countries, like that's just, it's just a whole different way of thinking about what, what the options are. You're not probably having to do as much retirement planning. Exactly. If they have a lot of those nets. Yeah, it's still there, but you know, people are still going to want to plan for vacations and make sure they aren't spending more than they make and trying to figure out, you know, what their goals are. And I think one of the things I kept thinking about during the Great Recession and, you know, especially in the US as pensions were changing is thinking about, you know, socialist countries and the fact that that could change at some point. And so making sure that every culture in the world, you know, has this mentality of understanding how to save for themselves and how to make sure that they are in control of their financial life. And and I think that is important and is going to continue to be important in all corners of the globe. So your podcast is called Innovating Advice. So I'm really curious of what are you seeing financial planners or how are you seeing financial planners innovate around the world right now? I would say I recorded just before this, actually a couple of hours ago, um, an episode with Andre Noveas of Life FP in Brazil. And I don't know if listeners are familiar with his story, but it's amazing. And he's down in Brazil, you know, kind of 
more of a developing country. Uh, you know, it's a huge country, but in terms of the consumer awareness of financial planning, it's pretty low. And that's consistent around the world. But he started a practice back in 2007 that was, you know, working with clients virtually and really on that monthly retainer model with no AUM. And he now works with almost 5,000 families. He's built a practice with like 60 financial planners. The majority of them hold CFP certification. And he charges about, uh, it comes out to about 5% of a client's net monthly income. And I just love his story because you're like, okay, Brazil back in 2007, like there was nowhere to look in the world for anybody that was doing that. And so getting those stories of, of people that are around the world, they're kind of looking around and saying, you know, I believe that there should be something else, or I believe that there's, you know, more that can be done in this profession. And it's the exact thoughts that I had when I started Belmore Financial in 2013, like I said, I, I looked around, I couldn't find anything that existed. And I was like, okay, I, I had to create it. And knowing that feeling and knowing that that's happening more and more, really in all corners of the globe, is so cool to see and how technology is allowing that to sort of happen more often and be able to share stories, which is what the Innovating Advice Show is all about is really sharing these stories of what people are doing, how they got to where they got to, to help inspire and motivate and provide really clear calls to action to people that, you know, could be somewhere in Africa or Russia or, you know, anywhere in the world and listening and going, okay, I've, I've been thinking about this. I also feel like there's something more. Somebody has to be a catalyst. Why not me? In the U.S., we have kind of this fee and commission where you, you get commission off a product. Is that standard across the world? It is becoming less standard, which kind of gets to what I was saying about the U.S. being a bit behind on regulation. And I think we can probably all agree the fact that, you know, Dodd-Frank was done in, what, 2009, and we still don't have a final answer on fiduciary and, you know, not a lot of quick moving action around that. Uh, And the fact that we have such major institutions that, you know, fight against stuff like the fiduciary standard, that doesn't exist as much around the world. And, you know, you've, you've got that information in the podcast uh, from the Royal Commission. And in uh, the UK and South Africa, they had something called RDR, which is the Retail Distribution Review, which basically took out commissions. And so that's something that we're seeing around the world. And one of the things that I didn't know, I, I mean, I just never thought about it before I worked at FPSB, was that the heads of the regulators of every country in the world get together for annual conferences. So the head of the SEC, FINRA, you know, ASIC in Australia, the FCA in the UK, you name it. And I was privileged to go to a couple of those conferences and you realize, oh, like all the regulators are talking to each other. And So it's possible that, you know, the SEC, FINRA, whatnot could be looking around going, okay, there is this global shift towards getting rid of commissions or changing the structure of commissions. And that's why I think it's so important that advisors, regardless of what sort of fee structure you're in or whether you work for a small practice or a bank, understand, you know, what could happen if 
those regulatory changes came to the U.S. and are aware, and I think listening to a podcast like this is perfect, are aware of, okay, what's my plan B? My husband always jokes about no matter what is going on in life, always have a plan B. And I think about that a lot with advisors as well. Are you seeing the trend then going to more of this assets under management or like a monthly retainer or are there other business models that we're not, we, we haven't seen in the U.S. that are out there? I would say that the biggest trend is towards the monthly retainer, um, which is nice to see. And, and that's still, I think, pretty split between those that charge a separate AUM fee versus those that have the AUM fee included. Or like I did in my practice, I only advised on you know investing the assets, but there was no fee for that anywhere. I, I walked clients through how they could execute those trades and, and take control of their portfolio. But from what I'm seeing, yeah, I'd, I'd say the, the retainer model is um, the most common because I think the nice thing about that is, you know, especially with our generation, it's really around the desire to build that relationship with the clients. You know, I, I think all over we're moving away from these transactional situations and yeah, again, it's towards that life planning. It's towards, you know, really focusing more on um, your dreams, your goals, your desire, and not so much on just stocks, investments, and graphs and charts. I know you've said that U.S. is very much viewed as the leader in this space. And one of the things, when I look at just where we've come in 50 years, one of the absolute most impressive things to me is our university programs how we have so many, there's, I mean, there's over like 250 CFP board registered programs. Like it's just insane to me. Um, how many, how many universities are now teaching financial planning? Is that a trend internationally or is that only in the U S I'd say when it, especially when it gets up to like the, you know, PhD level, I haven't seen that happening anywhere else. Uh, one of the big things is, you know, depending on when this certification CFP certification program started in a country, uh, a lot of the, not a lot, I don't know, maybe half or so of the, what would be kind of the equivalent of CFP board. So the uh, country level uh, certification organization, um, a number of them, they do the education part. And, you know, that was sort of necessary because you're not going to have universities that understand it all. Um, but that's, that's about half and half. There are a number of them where they do have all of the CFP certification education through universities. You know, often it'll go through, you know, sort of their business programs. Um, but I'm not seeing it really at the, the master's or PhD level yet. One of the things that we're struggling with um, is clear career paths and how people enter into the profession. How is that around the world? Like, what, what are you seeing around the world related to that? I mean, not to bring up Andre again, but that's another thing that I, I loved about his story. And I told him I want to have him on another episode just to talk about how he has built up his practice to have 60 financial planners and managing, you know, 5,000 families. That's not something that I've seen anywhere else in the world, including in the U.S. So, you know, thinking about, okay, he's got this perfect practice. He's all in on continual education. He's got his own life academy uh, for training financial planners in Brazil, just really dedicated to constantly bettering the profession. And that's admittedly the practice that I wanted to build when I first started out. Um, I ended up going down a different path, but I think that's so key 
is to, you know, have those practices that, that do want to build. And I think we're seeing a lot. And I think I kind of ended up the same way of, you know, advisors our age, a lot of them that I talk to don't actually have a desire to build a big practice. And I mean, that's perfectly fine. You know, they get their clients, they sort of figure out what their capacity is and, you know, build a really great life, which is awesome because that's also what they're helping their clients work towards. So it's good to kind of say, Hey, I'm, I'm actually living what I am coaching and advising you on, but it's still a lot of times more along the, you know, go into a bank and start out or go into a larger firm. Um, you know, I don't know that I'm seeing as much. I know in the U S I think the biggest entry for CFP professionals now is through call centers. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense and I can see how it can be, you know, a good way of starting out. It's, it's kind of like that rapid fire way of learning, which I loved before I started Belmore. I actually specialized in going into companies and talking with employees one-on-one. And I would schedule 30 minute sessions. So I could meet with like 16 different employees in one day. And I had no idea what was coming at me. You know, they would ask about like trusts and estate planning and insurance, employee benefits, you know, college savings, you name it. And I was like, wow, that's a really good way to make sure that your mind is staying active is to get those rapid fire questions. It is such a great training ground to really learn the ins and outs. Yeah. And it would be great if there were, you know, more ways of doing that. And I think, again, like when I look at what I'm building with the Innovating Advice Show, I think I have not even begun to scratch the surface or nick the surface. Like I'm so excited to see what I end up discovering is happening around the world because as many people as I know, as many cool things as I've seen, I just have a feeling there is so, so much more not only going on right now, but that is yet to come, whether that's on the technology side, it's on how people are building practices, how they are creating those pathways for people entering the profession. I think the 2020s, I mean, I think we're just going to see tons of great things happening in this profession all over the world. You know, it's always struck me about financial planning is I'm like, good ideas spread. You know, having technology podcasts, I think are a great platform. You know, I know I talk with some people and they're like, oh, only people in the US or developing markets listen to podcasts. No, they're listening all over the world. Yeah. I have stats that show that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Right. They're, they're listening in from everywhere. So the fact that we can get these stories out there and motivate people in a way that we, you know, really couldn't even five or 10 years ago, the platform wasn't that big uh, or YouTube, you know, you name it, but getting information out to people and being able to connect people is another big thing. You know, I, I can only, I mean, even how lonely I felt when I started my practice, I was in Seattle. There are tons of advisors in Seattle, but before I met everyone at FPA NextGen, I I did. I felt like I was alone on an island. And now, you know, there's so many people out there and I would say I do feel like it's a lot of our generation, um the XY generation that is so so willing to share and you can reach out to people, happy to hop on 10, 20, 30 minute conversation, like the collaboration that's happening is so encouraging for the growth of the profession. The more our profession grows, the more people are helped. 
And like, that's really what's important. Um, we just had somebody on the podcast recently who talked about like his whole goal is like to help and heal. If we can do that for people, like the more we can grow our profession, the more, the larger impact we can have in, in the U.S. and in the world in general. And I, I honestly can't imagine we're going to see in our lifetime where we actually have enough, I'm going to call them true financial planners, to be able to help everyone in the world that is even open to, to helping. You know, once we kind of continue to get the positive message out there to clients that it's not about selling products or collecting assets under management, the actual power of financial planning, I mean, people are going to be reaching out and, and needing and wanting that everywhere. So you've talked a couple times about, you know, developing countries. And so I'm curious the themes that you've seen from developing countries to developed countries. And is that planning process, how does that change within it? Or maybe it doesn't at all. It does a little bit. I would say the sort of the biggest thematic changes are, you know, the in developed countries, you know, say U.S., Canada, U.K., Australia, um, they've got the process there. They've got all of the education that you need. They've got training. They've got a community built up. You know, in a lot of cases, they've got technology that can help. And when you go more to the developed countries, and it doesn't even have to be economically developing, just when we think about the financial planning profession, there just isn't, there aren't all of those resources available. So for example, I spoke at a conference in the mountains in Bulgaria uh, a couple of years ago, and there were, I don't know, 75, what do they call them? Like financial consultants. So basically they, they all wanted to be financial planners and it was like a weekend long time. So I got to talk with people throughout the weekend and, you know, they were all like, how can I do this? I want to do this. But again, that's where you kind of need someone to take the reins and, and be the innovator in that country to, you know, figure out what does it look like? How does it fit in with the regulatory scheme? And that, that can be one of the challenging things. Um, even, you know, when I started my practice, I was in Seattle, the state of Washington had no idea what to do with me because they'd never encountered someone that was just charging a monthly fee by credit card. You know, so that, that was even challenging back then. And if you think about countries where they, they don't have a regulatory scheme that would necessarily prevent it, but it also doesn't encourage it, if that makes sense. So that's where it can be a little more challenging, but that's where I think as the world, I don't know that it can get much smaller, honestly. I, I mean, traveling the way I have, it's, the, world is, is, <laughs> the world is pretty small. And if you think about the practice of financial planning, I don't know, I'd say 70% of it is global. You know, the only things that really change are, you know, what can you invest in? How does your insurance work? How do your taxes work? Your estate planning? And then what are your employee or government benefits? But that's more like on the technical side. It's really, I think the actual practice of financial planning is and can be pretty darn consistent around the world. With your global perspective that you've gained, what do you see as the future of financial planning? Really continuing down this life, life planning uh, perspective. You know, I, I'm curious to see what continues to happen with all of the, um, I don't like the term robo-advisors, like digital investment platforms. Um, you know, cause two of them, too many of them aren't really providing advice, but I think it'll be curious to see what happens with that. Um, cause in a lot of developing countries, that's where 
people are starting to become introduced to, you know, maybe even the concept of financial advice. And that's where I think we're really seeing a lot more of this leapfrogging happen. Um, I was in Poland a couple of years ago, and that was such a, an interesting perspective on leapfrogging. They never had landlines. So, you know, home telephones never existed in Poland. They went straight from no phones to everybody having mobile phones. You know, so if you think about that in terms of what that could mean for other areas of, um, you know, technology, uh, what I call FP tech, financial planning technology, it's, it's tremendous. And so many of these places that we wouldn't necessarily think of that are doing incredible things with technology. Kenya is a huge one. Might not be the first place that comes to mind. Um, you know, in, in Israel, they've got a massive fintech environment there. Uh, Poland, they've got a ton of fintechs popping up there. And I know a lot of those are still focused on, you know, cryptocurrencies and bitcoins and just mobile payment processing. But I think we're going to see an uptake, uptick in, you know, getting more into the cash flow, the, you know, projections and starting to introduce some of, of the great technology that we see, you know, exists for financial planners in the U.S. And, and a few other developing countries. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Kate. And everybody listening, be sure to check out her podcast, Innovating Advice. It'll be live by the time this goes air. It Here's will right. be. Yes. Yep. Launched, launched with six episodes on Tuesday, February 25th. And there will be new episodes at least every Tuesday and Thursday. And I've already got a few bonus episodes lined up. I have a, a whole week-long special lined up uh, that, Hannah, you are going to be a part of. I'm excited. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hannah. This was great. Today's episode is brought to you by Markel Insurance. As an investment advisor, you know even the littlest details can make a huge impact, such as those tiny footnotes in the back of a prospectus or annual report. For your firm's professional insurance coverage, the details are also important. That's why your firm needs insurance coverage developed for financial service professionals to protect you, your firm, and your assets. Markel's investment advisors program offers heirs and omissions and directors and officers insurance. They've insured our industry and profession for three decades and have a strong reputation within our community as a result of its industry experience, stable premiums, and excellent claims management services. Markel is proud to be the choice of thousands of financial service professionals. Contact your insurance broker or agent today to get a quote from Markel. Love what you hear on this podcast? Join us in the FPA Activate Facebook community, where you'll find a community of other passionate planners like you. Not only that, but there are live How We Do What We Do sessions focused on what real financial planning looks like in practice. Be sure to join us there to lend your voice, become a better planner, and help grow the financial planning profession.